Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. We're just about halfway through the Summer on the Mount series. Today is installment number seven. And then after today, six more to go. So a total of 13 lessons or 13 messages. And a few weeks back when I introduced the series, I didn't pull any punches. I mean, right out of the starting gate, I told you it was going to be a very challenging study. And at that time, I recommended that you fasten your seatbelt and hold on for dear life. So let me ask you, how you been doing so far? Has the sermon that Jesus preached, that one that we call the greatest sermon ever preached, has it been changing your heart? I mean, that's the bottom line. Because the verses that are recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, they're not the kind of verses to be read over lightly. They need to be studied and memorized and meditated upon. I I believe this is the word that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church today, not just our church, but to the church universal. In fact, I'm amazed at the number of people that I talk to who tell me they're pastors or their Bible study group leader or someone in their small group, they're studying this same passage because the Lord is saying some things to us. And I appreciate Pastor Dave's sensitivity to talk about softening our hearts. It's not easy to make changes. It's not easy to let the Word of God come in and and knock down uh, or file off some rough edges. But we are depending upon the Holy Spirit to do that. And I so appreciate those of you who I just know in my heart, I, I can feel in my spirit, you want this in your life. You want to live this way. It's not an easy way to live. But the Spirit of the Lord will give us what we need in order to get there. And I appreciate the feedback and all of the... Uh, the encouragement, the support. I know that you're listening and I know you have good intentions. And so we're just going to ask that the Spirit of the Lord will move again. I, I tell you this all the time. It's not what I say or what any speaker says. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And so thank you for opening your heart. All right, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel that lists or records the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus as the King And please understand, uh, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present Jesus in a slightly different way. Again, in the gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus as king. In Mark, he's the suffering servant. In Luke, Luke presents Jesus to us as the son of man. And then in John, we see Jesus in his divinity or the son of God. And each of the four gospel writers, they depict Jesus with a little bit of contrast. And those four different perspectives, uh, they are not contradictory, but rather they're complementary. And so here in Matthew, as king, Jesus speaks to us about what? His kingdom. Uh, Matthew showing us Jesus as king, 
and Jesus is talking about his kingdom. Uh, but not just his eternal kingdom. The kingdom that is promised to us as believers when this life is over. And the Bible talks about that kingdom. The book of Revelation has a lot to say about it. Revelation eleven fifteen says, The kingdom of this world... Have become, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And how many know we're going to reign with him? That's the hope that we have, to experience perpetual paradise living with our king forever and ever. And friends, that's something no one can ever take away from us. But that's not the kingdom that Jesus is addressing with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 teach us or talk to us about kingdom living here on earth. And with this sermon, Jesus is trying to show us and to instruct us how we're supposed to live today after we become believers. And just so you know, as king, Jesus has the right to make demands. How many know that? You see, the kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. What we're used to here in the United States. You know, where we have our freedoms and supposedly we have a say and, you know, our opinion counts. That's not how it is in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not a democracy. What is it? It's a monarchy. And a monarchy is undivided rule or absolute authority, absolute sovereignty by just one person. The king. Just one person. And years and years ago, recorded in the Old Testament of your Bible, there came a time when the children of Israel, because they wanted to be like every other nation, they appealed to Samuel the prophet, and they said, Samuel, we want you to anoint a king to rule over us. Do you remember that passage? Some of you do. Samuel responded to their request. And, and they pressed him. And here's what Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. He said, please understand. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. These are the demands he's going to make. First, he's going to take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and his horses. In battle, they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Others he'll require to plow his ground and to reap his harvest. Still others of your sons, the king will make, have them make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And then your king's not only going to take your sons, he's also going to take your daughters. The daughters are going to become perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields. He'll take the best of your vineyards, your olive gardens, and he'll give everything that you have to his attendants. And then he, your king, this is Samuel telling the people, he'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll take a tenth of your vintage. He'll take a tenth of your male and your female servants. And then the best of your cattle and the best of your donkeys he will take for his own use. And if that wasn't enough, the king, your king, will also take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. And Samuel, he, he told this to the people because he didn't want them to go after an earthly king. He wanted them to know that God was their king. 
and that God would continue to lead them. He would continue to speak to them through the prophets, protect them and provide for them and care for them. But the people didn't really appreciate that, and they fired back. And here's what they said in verses 19 through 20. The people refused to listen to Samuel. So they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. And so because they were so adamant, God gave them what they thought they wanted. And they soon learned just how demanding a monarch could be. And every king, good and bad, did all of that and more. And here, in the Sermon on the Mount, our king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, he lays out his own requirements and his own expectations. And again, as king and as monarch of his kingdom, he has every right to demand and to dictate full compliance. And please note, when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, not one time does Jesus apologize for raising the bar so high. As you read through the sermon, you won't hear or you won't read Jesus say, I know being humble and merciful is not the cultural norm. And I know that having clean hands, clean hands and a pure heart will cost you something and it will probably rob you of some worldly pleasures. And I know that being fully committed to reconciliation and peace is a tough pill or a hard pill to swallow. But just do the best you can. You know, get up in the morning and try. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, these are my precepts. These are my principles. These are my virtues. And this is what I require of you. This is how I want you to live in my kingdom. And oh, by the way, it's not up for discussion. We're not putting it to a vote. This is how it is. But then the king, you know, he, he's a good king. And he makes us a promise. And he says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get to where you need to be. And I'm going to grace you with all the provision that you need to not only aim for perfection, but to have a heart that beats for the living God. Now, can you beat that deal? You can't. It's a win-win situation for us because we have a king who's not out for himself. We have a king who's making some demands, but it's for our own benefit. That's the kind of king that we serve. All right, that was all review. All right, we're going to start our message right now. And in the Sermon on the Mount verses that we're going to cover today, the portion of the sermon that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus talks about Christian discipline. Say that, the disciplines. He talks about the disciplines of the faith. Now we're talking about activities that we as believers should engage in, some good things that we should be doing on a regular basis. Now the last couple of weeks... Jesus was addressing some misbehavior, some things that we need to cut out of our lives. Jesus said, you know, if these things are in your life, you probably will want to do your best to definitely 
delete them and, and work past them. And now we're talking about things like anger and animosity and adultery and lustful living and telling lies and being dishonest or nursing a grudge, holding on to hate. In the last couple of weeks we were telling Jesus said, don't do that. Don't live that way. Because nothing beneficial, nothing positive can come when you have these things buried in your life. But then Jesus said, there are some good things. Things that I want you to do. Some activities uh, to employ and to practice and to integrate into your Christianity and into your faith. And then in Matthew chapter 6, the verses we want to look at today, Jesus names three of these disciplines that were important enough for him to mention. Praying, fasting, and giving. Jesus says, when you're living in my kingdom, when you're trying to obey the instruction that the Lord has passed along to you, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for the needs of others. I want you to pray for the nation, for the church. Get involved in prayer and pray with faith. And then Jesus said, there's some times when you need a little extra from the Lord. I, I wouldn't mind if you get into a little season of fasting and you, and you discipline yourself and you deprive yourself of some food. So do a little fasting. And then Jesus said, uh, I'd like you to be generous when you give. Uh, practice giving. But then as Jesus is talking to us about these Christian disciplines, he said, even though these are good things, they're godly things, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do these things. So we talked about some misbehavior that we should get out of our lives, and now Jesus is talking about some good things that he wants us to do and, and engage in, but he says to us very specifically, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do the good things. And in the opening verse of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus sets the stage for the entire passage, the entire segment of teaching that we're going to look at today, 18 verses. And the umbrella statement for the entire passage is located in the very first verse, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's read it together and let's look at it carefully. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. This is what Jesus said. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. One more time. And again, I'm going to repeat this because all of the verses that we're going to talk about today, they are linked to this one thought right here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, the good things that you do, everything that is good in your Christian behavior, in your Christian walk. Don't practice it in front of others to be seen by them because if you do, then you'll have no reward coming from your Father in heaven. Here, Jesus plainly says we can do the right things with the wrong motive or for the wrong reasons. Did you hear that? I heard one amen, so I'm going to repeat it. We can do the right things for the wrong reasons. Other, thank you. In other words, we can actually do what's right. We can do what's right. Engage in righteous living. Attempt to live holy lives. And in God's eyes or from God's perspective, not score any points. And right about now you might be thinking, well, 
Is this whole point thing really that important? You better believe it is. It's extremely important because with spiritual points, you earn rewards. Now, just recently, my beautiful and wonderful granddaughter, Adriana Christine, who's going to be 13 years old in another month, 13, uh, she introduced me uh, not too long ago to the wonderful world of crumble cookies. Now, before she told me about it, I didn't even know a crumble cookie existed. And to be quite honest with you, I am not a cookie guy. Uh, with the exception of maybe the Christmas season when I stuff my face with every kind of cookie known to man, I would pr pretty much pass on cookies. But not the case with crumble cookies. In fact, I'm working at it right now, trust me, but I am absolutely addicted to crumble cookies. You can ask Therese, that's all I think about, <laughs> crumble cookies. I have the app on my phone and I use it on a regular basis. I have been known to DoorDash crumble cookies at all hours of the day and night and they're open till midnight. So they come late sometimes. Currently I have 79 crumble cookie reward points. 20 more, 21 more points, get me to 100, that's a $10 gift card. It will allow me to get two free cookies. And so let me ask you again, and you thrifty shoppers can chime in. Are points important? They are. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Jesus said one day, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I know some pastors leverage this verse in a fearful, manipulating kind of way. Uh, but this little meeting that we as Christians are all going to participate in is actually an award ceremony. It's a good thing. And the purpose of this Bema seat gathering is to pass out rewards. It's to, to receive honor and recompense. On that occasion, God's going to open up his app with your name on it. And he's going to see all of the points that you have accumulated. And those points are going to translate or they're going to earn you some great heavenly blessings and rewards. Now, if you could care less about the spiritual reward and point system, and you do the things that you do for the kingdom of God right now because you're a list and a rule keeper and you follow the Lord and you obey the Lord because that's the thing you're supposed to do, that's great. Have at it. But for me personally, I'm a huge fan of the reward system. I'm all in. And I've mentioned to you on many occasions, I don't serve the Lord because of the reward that we might get or because of the benefits. We already have received the greatest benefit we could, salvation. I am devoted to God and sold out to Jesus because of what he did for me on the cross. When he died there to forgive me of my sins. But you know the rewards that the Bible talks about and are throughout the scripture? It's great incentive for us as believers. And I feel we should take advantage of them. And here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus said, if you do the right thing, if you even engage in the right kind of behavior, but you do it with the wrong attitude, you're going to forfeit your spiritual points. 
and instead of the Lord documenting those points on his balance sheet with your name on it, your reward that you're going to get is the honor that comes here in this life. The honor that you gather from the people around you. See, that's how the Pharisees lived. That's what the Pharisees did. They lived for the praise of men. They paraded around so people could point to them and acknowledge just how great they were. And they loved it when people talk so well of them. And please understand, as much as we criticize the Pharisees, they lived according to the letter of the law. For the most part, they did what was right. When you watch their behavior, it was right. But they had the wrong motivation. They weren't doing the things they were supposed to be doing for the right reason. And what they were doing was putting, they put on a good show. They put that show on for people to see. And that's why Jesus at times called them hypocrites. And how many of you know the word hypocrite has a much different meaning today than it did back then? Today, if you call someone a hypocrite, fighting words, by the way, means that you think they say one thing and do another. That's not what hypocrite meant in Bible times. Hypocrite was actually uh, a theatrical term, and the word hypocrite meant to speak from beneath. That's what hypocrite meant, to speak from beneath. You see, it referred to actors and performers who would put all different kinds of masks on, depending on what part they were playing. And with the mask in place, they would speak from beneath, or speak from beneath the mask. They were pretenders. They were performers. And Jesus said that's how the Pharisees lived. It wasn't like they said one thing and did something else, but they pretended. They pranced around and pretended. They were fakers. What you saw uh, in, uh, with the outward behavior of a Pharisee wasn't at all what was going on in their heart. They were just putting on a show. And in Luke chapter 18 and verse 10, Jesus exposed the Pharisees' backstage hypocrisy. Here's what Jesus said. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Now, keep in mind here that this Pharisee, he's praying, right? He, he went to the temple to pray, so we know that he's a praying man. He, by his own testimony, he says, I fast and I give. Those are the three disciplines that Jesus mentions in this particular passage. He says, I want you to pray, I want you to fast, I want you to give. And the Pharisee was doing all of them. Do you see that? He was engaged in all of this. But the tax collector... Jesus said, standing afar off, would not even so much as lift his eyes to heaven. Didn't read his resume, didn't go down all the things that he was doing. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, who, the sinner, the tax collector, 
He went down to his house justified or right with God rather than the Pharisee. Again, Jesus said, you can do the right things. You can conduct your life in a scriptural way. You can toe the religious line perfectly. You can do everything on a daily basis that you're supposed to do, and it can be very impressive to the people watching. But God, the one who's accumulating the points, the one who's documenting them all, he's way more interested in what's going on in our hearts than what's taking place with our outward behavior. Are you getting this? This is so important that Jesus would spend 18 verses talking about this concept. And the whole reason that Jesus is in God are more concerned with what's going on in the heart is because God knows when the heart is right, when the heart is holy, the hands are holy. And the expression of living is holy. It all begins with the heart. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 4. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right, just so there's no misunderstanding, Jesus is not saying, stop giving. How many know it's, it's good to share your financial blessings with the needy? In fact, when you do that at God's prompting, you can expect a whole bunch of blessings in return. That's what the scripture teaches us. You know, last month, we had a request from one of our mission partners that we support for a little extra money. And and we did that. We gave them a little extra, more than what we would normally give them on a monthly basis. And we, we just wrote them out a check. A couple of days later, we learned that a member of our church, uh, they made some money on an investment, and they wrote us a check for $35,000. You know... When you give, especially when you give at God's prompting, when, when you are willing to share what you have, the scripture is very clear. God will, will see that and he'll repay you accordingly. And this concept of sharing with the needy or with the poor, that's, a, that, that's found in the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, if among you, one of your brothers or your sisters should become poor. If any of your towns within your land, in any of the towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. Jesus didn't say stop your giving. That's not what this is talking about. He said, I want you to give. I, I want you to be generous, but don't call attention to yourself. Don't blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, and wake everyone up. You know, don't take $100 in quarters and, and go to the back of the church where the metal 
offering box is and drop the quarters in one at a time. You, you know, don't do that. Just give to God without all of the fanfare, without making a production out of it. And right about now, uh, you know, a few of you might be confused because a few weeks ago we read from Matthew chapter 5, also uh, verses in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And as the light of the world, I, I want you to let your light shine among men so that they can see your good deeds. Remember that? So they can see your good works and glorify their Father in heaven. So Jesus was telling us at that point to let everybody see our good deeds. And now he's telling us, no, keep everything that's good to yourself. Which is it? Are we to showcase our faith or fly under the radar? What are we supposed to do? At what time do we do it? Well, you know what I've learned over the years? That whatever you're tempted to do, whatever the enemy comes and tempts you to do, do the opposite. Just do the opposite. If you're tempted to keep it to yourself and to hide it and not to share it with anyone, to keep it quiet, then chances are you probably should let that little secret out. If on the other hand, the enemy whispers in your ear to tell everyone about it, and in so doing, bring a little glory your way, then it's probably a good indication that you should just keep it secret. So, again, Jesus is making some points here, but he's not wanting us to be confused. He's not telling us to stop giving. He's just telling us, don't call attention to it. All right, verse 5, Matthew 6 and verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We'll skip the Lord's Prayer here for just the time being. Come back to it in a moment. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And again, Jesus is kind of ripping on the Pharisees here. He's calling them out. This is the way they prayed. This is the way they fasted. He called them hypocrites. He said, truly I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, again, just like giving... These two disciplines, prayer and fasting, they're beneficial. And God wants us to do them. Jesus is instructing us to involve ourselves in these activities, in these disciplines. And when you pray, it's okay if you have enough voice for other people to hear your prayers. It's okay to pray publicly and to let people hear what you have to say. Daniel prayed that way. He didn't care who was listening. 
I mean, no, God answered Daniel's prayers. When you fast, it's okay to let people know that you're fasting, that you're seeking God in a, in a special season of time, or you're, you're wanting uh, to get closer to God, or you want God uh, to answer a prayer, and so you're spending some time fasting and disciplining yourself. Whenever I hear that someone's in a time of prayer and fasting, it inspires me. It doesn't mean just because every time you tell someone you're fasting that you're drawing attention or glory to yourself. But Jesus was clear about the manner in which we do these things. Again, not calling attention to ourselves. Don't pray, don't fast so people will look at you and acknowledge how spirit you are. Look at them, man, they're in another hour of prayer. They come for another time of fasting. And so what you're doing now is you're having people acknowledge you rather than you offering these as sacrifices to the Lord. You see, if you receive the glory coming from people, if you let people make you feel good about the relationship that you have with God and everything that you're doing for the kingdom of God, then you might as well kiss your eternal rewards goodbye. That's what Jesus is saying. It's that pay me now or pay me later thing. You know, the whole uh, instant or immediate gratification thing versus the delayed gratification. You know, typically, if we want something, we want it yesterday. These days, we have a very difficult time being patient and waiting for anything. And here in America, we hate to wait. Why do we hate to wait? Because we don't have to wait, other than in traffic. But everything else, we don't have to wait. We have enough resources. We have everything that it takes to make it happen right now. How I many know if you want something bad enough, you're going to get it? It's the way we are. Friend, you can create and, and you can solicit all of the self-fame and self-importance you want and you can spend it all up here in this life or you can listen to what Jesus said and you can save a little glory for a rainy day. And if you save a little bit of it, how many of you know it comes with some heavenly compound interest? It's a lot better, it's a lot different than what you're going to get right now. But if you want to get it today, you can. Jesus said, that's all you're going to get. All right, let's finish up here with the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. This, Jesus said, then is how you should pray. And let's just pray this together. Our Father in heaven, come on, everybody. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, I'll finish up. Jesus went on to say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, when they offend you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We forget about that verse a lot. 
Let me ask you this. How many of you love it when God forgives your sins? Every hand should be up. When God takes away our sins, it's a beautiful thing. And in addition to the Bible telling us that God is willing to do that, many, many scriptures that talk about him removing our sins, forgiving our sins as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. In addition to knowing that the scripture is very clear and that God willingly will forgive us our sins, how do we really know when our sins are gone? How do we really know when they're forgiven? We feel it. We can sense it. Because when God forgives our sins and takes our sins away, this heavy, weighty burden is lifted off our shoulders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, in Psalm 51, after a pretty big blunder, David prayed to the Lord. I mean... He had just engaged himself in some activities that I'll bet he couldn't even believe he did. And he prayed to God, and here's what he said. He said, Father, cleanse me, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be white as snow. You see, the scripture tells us after David's sin, he was crushed on the inside. He was overwhelmed by his failure. And the only thing that brought any relief to him, the only thing that allowed him to, to be free was to know that the Father had forgiven him and had cleansed him, that God had taken away that sin. And when he felt that, I, I can believe that he was a totally different guy. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we read that and we blend it all together. What if I told you that's two different graces there? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Not a period. But an and. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's one thing to know that we're forgiven. To rejoice over the fact that God will not hold our sins, our failures, our mistakes against us. It's altogether different to be clean, to feel free, and the burden of sin dissipate from our hearts and from our lives. It's almost like you know, we can live again, we can walk again. In this little passage here following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, you want the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you? You want to feel free on the inside and not burdened down with your sin? Then why don't you forgive the people who offend you? Why don't you lift that burden from off their shoulders? And friends, if you're in a relationship with God and, and you love the Lord with all your heart and you repent of sin and you repent of mistakes that you make, things that you're not happy about, things that you wish were out of your life, and you just don't feel like there's relief there. I mean, you just feel beat down by the sin. You feel beaten down by the enemy. Let me suggest checking to see if you're holding on to someone else's offense. Maybe it's time to let that go and see if something won't happen in your own heart. 
Jesus said, I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to give. But I want you to do it with the right motivation. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Holy Spirit of God, we sang earlier that you would come and have your way among us, doing things that only you can do. Lord, you know where we're at, every one of us. And Father, we do present ourselves before you today. Thank you for speaking so clearly to me. Because that's who you're interested in right now. Not just a room full of people, not just those who are watching and listening, but me. Lord, have your way in me. I thank you, Lord, for transforming my heart, from leading me to, from the place of seeking the approval and the honor of men and making my worship and praise to you what's most important. And then thank you for giving us the grace necessary, Lord, to live this way. I pray that you would move among us in these closing moments, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Amen.